Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage for today comes from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Listen for what God is saying to you. Peter and John were going up to the temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the established uh, prayer time. Meanwhile, a man crippled since birth was being carried in. Every day, people would place him at the temple gate, known as the beautiful gate, so he could ask for money from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he began to ask them for a gift. Peter and John stared at him. Peter said, look at us. So the man gazed at them, expecting to receive something from them. Peter said, I don't have any money, but I will give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, rise up and walk. Then he grasped the man's right hand and raised him up. At once, his feet and ankles became strong. Jumping up, he began to walk around. He entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him, walking and praising God. They recognized him as the same one who used to sit at the temple's beautiful gate, asking for money. They were filled with amazement and surprise at what had happened to him. May God add a blessing to the hearing and understanding of the scripture. Good morning again. Um, I'm just grateful to be able to worship with you and uh, be moved and encouraged and reminded that that God is present um, in our stories, uh, whether it is through testimony or stories that are sung through songs or stories that are ancient but still speak to us today as in our passage for today. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for this morning, for this time to gather together and delve into what it is that you might have to say to us, what it is that you might challenge us us with, and the ways that we might find both restoration and purpose um, as you speak to us today. And so um, clear away the clutter of our hearts and minds and help us to be present in this moment to lean in attentively and listen to what your spirit might be whispering to us today. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. If you were paying attention to the news this past week, uh, you probably heard uh, on the historic date of June 19th, known as Juneteenth for many, the day when news of emancipation had finally made its way to the deepest parts of the Confederacy. On June 19th, congressional hearings took place on the topic of reparations. As experts, intellectuals, and politicians made their case for reparations, there was plenty of resistance to the tune of, well, what about Native Americans or Chinese railroad workers? There were claims of unfair punishment. Why should America pay for something that I didn't do that happened 150 years ago? There was pushback that ranged from outright callousness and unveiled bigotry to the more logistical, like how would this even work? And as I read through the comments uh, on the New York Times, on on a New York Times article covering the hearings, I couldn't help but comment, because why not throw a couple more cents into the digital well, right? I said, let's be generous and courageous and creative enough to have the conversations and think together about how we might pursue justice and restoration, rather than shutting down the conversation because it's simply too complicated. 
And I share this because all of what all of this pushback reveals, aside from a lack of adequate history, history education and an even deeper lack of empathy that marks our national pathology, is a deficiency of imagination. And a deficiency of imagination, or rather the disruption of that deficiency, is what we see in our passage for today. Here we have Peter and John headed for afternoon prayers when they come across this man whose main identification in this passage is, his, uh, is the thing that people recognize him the most by, which was he was crippled since birth. Now, I'm going to pause right here, right, to, to say that stories like these featuring physical healing have been used to imply that people with disabilities are broken, waiting for God's healing, and are incomplete until that happens. Often they are not portrayed as whole people receiving of God's love until after uh, their physical healing, and, and that can lead to all sorts of problematic, uh, problematic ways of thinking about illness and disability as a punishment for sinfulness or a sign of sinfulness. Let's not get it twisted. These stories are not about the way that our physical selves are tied to how sinful we, or holy we are. The focus of these stories are about what it means to be restored to community. As one UVCR put it, the goal was not to erase disability, the goal was to erase exclusion. And in that time, which is different from now, the only way to erase exclusion was to heal the disability. Does that make sense? And so when Peter and John head to the temple for prayers, they come across this man who has spent his whole life in a state of physical dependency. Every day, people would take him to the temple steps so that he could beg for money. And maybe the people who carried him felt like they were doing a good thing by helping him in this way. And maybe he thought they were too. After all, it's at least a way for, some, for him to have some kind of livelihood. Perhaps the people going to the temple felt like they were being more faithful and virtuous as they dropped a few coins in his cups when they entered or exited. It had more or less been working out over the years. He'd grown used to this kind of existence, viewing his place in the world as a beggar, not being all that bad, like it's working out. There was, uh, and so there the man was, uh, and, but when Peter and John come up to the steps, something different happens. The man is going about business as usual, hardly looking up and perhaps shaking his cup. Would you give a gift to a beggar like me? He asks, and they pause. The passage says that Peter and John stared at him, which in a fast-paced, action-packed book like Acts is a little unusual. It's like time slows down for this scene. Peter and John stare at the man. Look at us, Peter commands. And here, the nameless man who had resigned himself to a lifetime of shaking his cup himself is shook. He looks up and locks eyes, expectant. It had never occurred to the man that he could get anything more than pennies. And honestly, I wonder if Peter and John hadn't thought the same, uh, same thing. But in that moment, something electric happened. Maybe the universe expanded and contracted. In that, and in that moment, Peter caught a glimpse of something bigger, something more generous than a couple of pennies in a cup. At this moment in our country, we are considering an invitation to expanded imagination the possibility of forming a committee to explore reparations for 400 years of unpaid labor followed by 155 years of unjust legislation in the form of Jim Crow. It's a breathtaking concept that is exhilarating for some and terrifying for others. And this, I believe, is what it feels like to look liberation in its fullest breath and with all that it means in the face, both terrifying and exhilarating. Fearful and hopeful. 
It is the portal to a massive disruption in the world as we have known it. And whether or not those who are laboring hard for reparations will put it this way, it is, it is the work of God. Peter and John knew that as they carried forward Jesus' mission, that they had to somehow disrupt the patterns of the world. They knew that this must happen, but perhaps until this moment, they weren't quite sure what that looked like. And then they did. Instead of a few pennies, Peter offers the man on the steps something different. Instead of a momentary alleviation, he offers a lifetime of restoration. I don't have any money, but I will give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, rise up and walk. The man jumps up and enters the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. The people are surprised and filled with awe. But here, I do have to wonder what happened later, right, after this scene. Because, of course, you don't go through a lifetime of living on the steps without having it kind of mess you up a little on the inside, right? There was no doubt a lot that had to be undone, both for the healed man and for his community. There were adjustments that would need to be made in how he saw himself as well as how others saw him. And so while this is the end of our scene with him, it is the beginning of a new life for him and the community to which he had been restored. All of us are called, one way or another, to be mouthpieces and agents of this kind of liberation, whether it is behind the table at a congressional hearing, in a side conversation at work, or in a booth doing um, outreach at a festival. We might not be famous like ta Coates or Danny Glover, who were among the folks who, um, who uh, uh, spoke um, at the congressional hearings. We might not be experts uh, in the fields of history or policy or statistics, except for Josiah. Um, but we are experts in our experience. Sharing about our experience and understanding of what it means to follow Jesus, what God's vision of wholeness of life for all looks like. For some folks who encounter us at Urban Village Church, this kind of message might feel terrifying, actually, or liberating, or both of these all at once. At UVC, when we invite people to consider or reconsider their relationship or the possibility of relationship with God, we are inviting folks into something that many have never known as church. In fact, many have been warned of such people as ourselves, false prophets and teachers who will cause you to fall away and lose your salvation. I assure you that God's grace is not so fragile. For some, this is incredibly refreshing and life-giving, and for others, though, it can feel disconcerting, even threatening. It is a disruption of the most liberating kind. For some folk, the way that we talk about faith and the space that we give people to reconsider things without repercussion or judgment can be incredibly liberating. But for others, it can actually end up opening the floodgates of suppressed resentment about God, Christianity, church, and church people. It can bring about questions that they never thought was, they were allowed to consider about who God is and what it means to follow Jesus. I've seen this before. People who have been so boxed in that the freedom to question, to push back, to wonder aloud becomes disorienting and even scary. They walk away from church. Sometimes they get angry at me for, for opening that opportunity for them, right? And they walk away from church or faith because of the anger that they have finally allowed themselves to feel. Churches have far too often been unclear about who they are or where they stand on any number of issues. And these days, and especially in evangelical circles, this has been particularly true around whether or not LGBTQIA folks are considered full participants in the community or if they are just allowed to sit on the steps and receive pennies. 
And so what happens is that folk get involved with the church, and as they feel the warmth of belonging, they hardly realize all the ways that they've been gaslighted into believing that second-class citizenship is enough. Would it be better to allow those questions, doubts, and frustrations to emerge, or is it better to perpetuate a culture of intellectual oppression, shame, and conformity? One, answer, one is certainly easier than the other. Some would say, let sleeping dogs lie, but at UBC, we know better than that. We know better than that. And telling the truth about who we are, being clear about who we are and what we are for is vital, especially for those who have been hurt the most by church. Of course, we aren't the only ones who know this, and now there's even an app for it. Church Clarity rates congregations on how clear they are around LGBTQIA inclusion. It's never been easier to report a bait-and-switch church. Even so, whether it is a church malformed by homophobia, misogyny, white supremacy, or all of the above, or any number of sinful cultures that saturate our society, far too many people have had to contort themselves in order to be able to function and survive in church and in society. We are all conditioned to participate at different levels in different ways in our own oppression and the oppression of others, inside and outside of the church. And healthy disruptions that call us to a new understanding of what's possible, this is what happened between John and Peter and the man on the steps. And while having the courage to wake up and speak up and change patterns can be costly on many levels, we are reminded that it was Jesus who told us that the truth will set us free. It was also Jesus who said that only those who are willing to put their hand to the plow and never look back is capable of following in this way. When Peter stared at the man, when the man stopped shaking his cup and looked up, when Peter offered him something that the man had never even thought to ask for, in that moment, the cynical cycle of beg, receive, repeat had been broken, and something new was made possible, something incredibly life-giving and terrifying at the same time, because the way things had been didn't have to be the way they were going to be. What cycles do you have the courage to break? How will you be an agent of life and liberation for those who have given up, who have resigned themselves to sitting on the steps? It doesn't have to be dramatic. You don't have to do a physical healing or testify before Congress, although who knows? We've got some smart people in this room. Maybe it's being a message of God's liberative love at the Southside Pride Festival on Saturday or marching in the parade next Sunday. Kids can come too. They can ride on their scooters. Maybe it's like restoring a relationship or calling on your representatives to dismantle the concentration camps along our borders. There is plenty of work to be done, plenty of cycles to disrupt. Choose one. All you have to do is pick up a plow. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have enough trust in us to, and you believe enough in us that we can actually disrupt the cycles that harm ourselves and harm those around us in some way in our lives. We thank you that you invite us into that work, that that is part of what it means to help your vision of wholeness of life for all be made more real. And we ask that you would help us to have the courage to do so in whatever ways that it shows up in our lives. Help us to be courageous mouthpieces of your liberative love, whatever that costs us. 
and however awkward or strange it might make us feel. Help us in, in all of the ways of who we are to be reflections of your grace, of your hospitality. And when we fail, help us to know that we can get up and try again. We thank you for the ways that you showed us this in the name of uh, your son Jesus and the life and ministry that he led. We thank you for Peter and John and the ways that they sought to do that as well. Help us to be just as open to having our imaginations expanded for the sake of your work in this world. We pray this in the name of your son Jesus. Amen.